Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, find us on the web at revivallifechurch.org. If you got a Bible, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it today. I'm going to use all of it today. Listen, all of it. I'm using the whole thing today. Going to be in Genesis. Listen, I, um, we're continuing our message series called Community. And uh, I, I'm, just, I'm convinced that what God wants to do in Boca Raton in South Florida is going to take all of us. Amen? Amen? Say all. <clears throat> I, met with a, uh, I met with a local pastor recently who God sent him out to start a church. And his pastor, um, at that point, began to really begin to shun him because he felt threatened by this pastor starting a new church. And I was like, how many people are in this guy's church? He said, about 100. And I was like, do you know during the day there's about 350,000 people in Boca Raton, both sides of the, 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 the line, in the county, in the city? 350,000. That means the pastor of this whole city, we'd need about 700 churches of 500 people. I feel like there's enough to go around. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, that's just Boca. We're not talking about Delray or Deerfield. We're just talking about Boca. I feel like, you know, the, the, the task at hand is so large, we can't disqualify anybody from what God wants to do. Amen? We can't disqualify anybody. And so today, we're going to get in the Word of God today, and uh, I hope I don't offend anybody, but I do hope I challenge people. Is that okay? I'm gonna, I, I, my message today uh, is titled very simply, The Woman Question. The, the women question, the woman question. Um, and uh, why is this important? Well, if you're a woman, you're probably not asking that. Why are we talking about the role of woman? Well, that's a, that's a good male question. It's not a great female question. They're like, yes, thank you. Why is this important? Let me, let me show you a quote from a, um, a well-known Christian pastor, if you put up my next graphic, this is what he talked about when someone said, I know you don't believe in divorce, but what happens if the woman is being abused? He said, if her husband isn't requiring her to sin, but simply hurting her, then I think she endures verbal abuse for a season. She endures perhaps being smacked one night, and then she seeks the help from the church. Does anybody else find that crazy? Crazy. This is a very well-known pastor. This is, a leading, this, is, this is where bad theology gets you. This is where bad theology gets you. And so we're going to talk today, what is the role of women in the church? And, and we have to ask it because there's people who vehemently believe that the role of the woman is to just support men and that surely women should never preach because they're not God has called them to be quiet, which leads me to my next question. Are you ready for my next question? If women aren't supposed to preach, why did Jesus tell them to preach? It's a fairly good question, isn't it? It's a fairly good question. And before I dismiss Mikey here, who's ushering in the presence for me, 
there, there, there's, 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 some, there's a couple of scriptures in the Bible that say, Paul writes that women should be silent in two places. We see that in, in 1 Corinthians. We see it in, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 2 as well. Uh, and if, as I've been talking about, if we look at the Bible as a book of systematic theology where each book has another part of systematic theology, then you can come away with the conclusion that women are supposed to be silent. However, if we view what the apostles wrote through the lens of what Jesus said and did, it's impossible to come up with that conclusion. And so we have to remember when we go into the scriptures that our God's name is Jesus. Our God's name is not Paul. Our God's name is not Job. Our God's name is not even Moses. The name of our Savior is Jesus Christ. And He is the foundation of our faith. And when you want to test any other scripture, you have to test it against what Jesus said. You got to test it against what Jesus said. Because Jesus actually came to do something new. And if you don't know what Jesus said, then you'll come away with some really bad conclusions. Amen? Thanks, Mike. And so if we're, if we're, if we're going if we're going to use the Bible as the foundation of our faith, we have to know the story that the Bible tells. We, have to know, we cannot just pull scriptures out of the Bible for it to say whatever we want it to say. We have to understand the story, and it has to be within the context of the story. Amen? Amen. And so if we look at the, the Bible, we have to look past our cultural prejudice, and we have to see the purpose of the ministry of Jesus Christ, or we will miss our purpose. Last week, uh, I talked about the, the Shunammite woman, the woman from the, the Canaanite. Uh, if you didn't listen to last week's message, if you missed it for some reason, I rarely say this, but you have to go listen to that message. It really spoke to who we are as a people and how we view Jesus. Uh, it, it's one of what they call the hard sayings of Jesus. I didn't find it hard at all. I found it very simple to understand personally, because when you know Jesus, it's easy to understand what he's talking about. If you don't know Jesus, then his sayings become very complicated. Uh, but when you know him, it becomes fairly simple. And as we look at the role of women in the Bible, when we look at what Jesus did with women, we, we, we have to use what's, what a legal uh, terminology. And in, in, uh, in, in legal terms, they will call it a, to, to, a totality of circumstances. What does that mean? That means we can't just pick out and come to a conclusion, we have to look at all the circumstances surrounding something, and after examining the totality of the circumstances, we come to a conclusion. Amen? If I see Corey talking to a woman, I cannot come to the conclusion that he's having an affair, because I know Corey, number one. Number two, I know Corey's role as the worship leader. I know Corey's role as a minister uh, uh, in the house of God. I know Corey's role in protecting his marriage. I know, and then I say to Corey, hey, who was that? Oh, she's a new person for the worship team. We were standing outside because there was nobody in the church, and I wanted to make sure that, you know, there was nothing that would look inappropriate. So we're standing outside having a conversation about worship and how she could fit in. Huh. In the totality of the circumstances, of course, he's not having an affair with his wife. You see, right? But somebody could say, I saw Corey alone with a girl. And you can come up with a conclusion that was false. You see that, right? Likewise, in Scripture, we can find one thing, ignore the totality of circumstance, and come up with a conclusion. You see this. <clears throat> if you come away with nothing from this message, 
I want to reiterate something I said last week. Jesus redeems all who believe. Jesus redeems all who believe. Now, if you believe that, then this message is going to be very simple to understand. If we're going to talk about women and their role in the church of Jesus Christ, we have to begin looking at women in the Bible as a whole. We have to look at what Jesus did and what God did with women as recorded in the Holy Scriptures. We have to look at Miriam. We have to look at Deborah. We have to look at Hulda. We have to look at Priscilla. We look at Junia. We look at Phoebe. We look at so many. Uh, not to mention Mary, the mother of Jesus. I know that the Protestant church doesn't like to talk about her. But Jesus said that we should remember her forever. I'm going with Jesus, amen? And so as we look at these women in, in, in the Bible and we read the story of the Bible, we see that in the beginning, man and woman were together as one in the garden. I keep going back to the garden because it's, it's pretty important because that's when man was in perfection on the earth. And when man was in perfection on the earth, they were together as one. Adam and Eve were joined as one, as one. Now, we know that sin came and sin separated them from God. We know that sin separated man from God. And so here is the pattern that we see in the Scripture that I want you to keep in mind as you read the Scripture to understand where you're at when you're reading. Here's the pattern. Let me show you. It's called togetherness, otherness, togetherness. It's a pattern. So we were all together with God in the garden, and then sin came in, and then otherness entered. We were joined, man and woman, together. We, we were not separated because there was not sin, but when sin came, man and women were separated. We know that when sin came in, we were separated from God. We know that when sin came in, we were separated from creation, and we know that when sin came in, we were separated from our true selves and started experiencing mental health issues, uh, shame and fear, and all the things that come with the effect of sin, but there was a promise in the garden of a seed that would come through the woman that would crush the head of Satan, and once again we would be joined to God. Who believes that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that the, that the curse is broken and we're no longer separated from God? Yeah, amen, amen. But that is not all that we the, the, the break uh, was joined. Either the curse was broken or it wasn't. And so if we were joined back together with God, we're joined back together Man and woman were joined back together with our true selves, and we can experience wholeness. And we're supposed to be joined back together with the creation as we redeem it for the glory of God. Now, Jesus came and redeemed our relationship, and now we experience what we were in otherness. We're now together in togetherness. Do you understand that? There's togetherness, otherness, togetherness. And this togetherness is a better covenant than we were when we were in otherness. Togetherness is a better covenant than otherness. And so if we're going to look at this new covenant in Christ Jesus, let's take a look at the old covenant we had before togetherness. I want to show you the role of women as recorded in the Bible in the old covenant when we were in otherness. We would look possibly at Micah chapter 6. Micah was talking about when God brought the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And they weren't alone. And Micah reminds them, Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and ransomed you from the house of slavery, which is 
an allegory for us in sin, where you see slavery in the Bible in the Old Covenant, I want you to think trapped by sin in the New Covenant. The old Egypt was our bondage to the devil, spiritually. He says, indeed, I brought you up out of the land of Egypt and ransomed you from the house of slavery. And I, God, God says, this is who I sent to lead you. I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. I sent you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Now we hear about the first two a lot. Some reason we don't hear about Miriam nearly as much. God didn't forget about her. And he had to remind them, listen, I brought you three people to lead you. To lead you, Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Now, what were their roles? Moses was the lawgiver. Aaron was the priest. Miriam was the prophetess. Moses was the lawgiver. Aaron was the priest. Miriam was the prophetess. And we've talked about this. If we're going to examine on the two passages in the Bible that talk about women being silent, we cannot talk about them unless we're going to talk about the passages in the Bible that tell us what women did. We have to look at the passages that said what women did in the totality of circumstances before we can interpret the scriptures on women keep silent. God said, I sent you Miriam to lead you. Paul said something very specific. We got to look at what Paul said through what God said. Amen. So let's look at what women did in this old covenant of otherness. We see a woman named Deborah. Deborah was a judge over the house of Israel. Now, the judges in the house of Israel were the leaders. They were like the president. They were appointed by God. The judges were appointed by God. People would kind of sometimes petition for their own king. The judges were appointed by God. Deborah was a judge. We look at Judges 4, 4. And it says, now Deborah, what's that word say? A prophetess. Hmm. The wife of Lenny was judging Israel, leading Israel at that time. In the book of Judges, we see a woman named Deborah who was a prophetess and was the leader of Israel. Now, I don't know about you, but I have found it very difficult to lead a nation without talking. I would find it very difficult to be a prophetess if can't, men can't hear my words. The scripture, I mean, the teaching that women be silent makes absolutely no sense in this setting. It makes no sense earlier when God was bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt and he sent them Miriam to lead them. We see it makes absolutely no sense when we're looking at the judges. The Hebrew Bible records women were appointed to lead Israel, the people of God. And God could have chose whoever he wanted. And he chose women. And so here's what we see. We see in the Old Covenant, as we look through the Word, we see women were prophetesses. And they were judges or the president of the land. We know that they were psalmists and they were counselors to Moses. We see all these roles that women walked in. And when we start talking about the teachings of Paul in the New Testament, we can't throw all this away. That doesn't make any sense at all. I'm uh, trying to keep my tongue together here as I stay on task. 
I hate, I hate, I hate. I'm going to be honest with you right now. I'm prejudiced in this. I'm biased in it because I hate prejudice. I hate misogyny. I hate people thinking they're better than other people. It bothers me. It's not in the new covenant. It's not in Christ. And so I try to keep my emotions at bay, but I'm just reading the Bible to see what it says here. And not everybody likes that. And I'm okay with that. And so as we look in this new covenant, we look at Junius. Someone's a fan of Junius. Let's take a look here. In Romans chapter 16, verse 7, Paul, say Paul. Paul's talking about Junius. He says, greet Andronicus, right? Now, he is sending a letter to somewhere else, to Rome, about some folks they don't know, and he's giving them a letter to say, these people are worthy of you to let them come and lead. Watch this. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles. When you look at all the apostles and all the apostles that we have where I'm writing this letter from, and all the apostles in the church, there's a couple of them that stand out. One's Andronicus. The other is a lady named Junius. They're outstanding among the apostles who were in Christ, watch this, before me. Outstanding among the apostles. I'd like just to be one of the apostles. Let alone Paul to say that I'm outstanding among them. We see further in the ministry in the book of Acts, there was a, a guy named Apollos, and you know this story. Apollos was considered to be great in Scripture. He had a great teaching of the script, great knowledge of the Scriptures. He was a great teacher, and we know that he began winning people to the Lord and established a church. And, and the Bible says um, uh, he didn't know the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, this is significant. Apollos didn't know the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and uh, an apostolic couple named Priscilla and Aquila met up with him. Now, here's what's really interesting. In the old world, you introduce the man first. You would say Carl and Tracy Thomas or Corey and Sarah Pagano. But when you, see, when you see this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, more often than not, the wife is introduced first. Does that mean something? I don't know. But I got to believe the Bible is written for a reason. And so we see this church that, uh, that Apollo started in Acts chapter 18, verse 26. It says, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, Apollos, they heard his teaching, his doctrine, his ministry, they, say they, they. that means two people, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now, why am I pointing the scripture out? Because this crazy teaching that this pastor at the beginning, I pointed out to you, teach that no man could teach any woman. Or excuse me, no woman could teach any man. No woman can teach any man. And, and in question and answer sessions, I've heard the doctrine of this group of people, and this pastor in particular, say that a woman should not even become a police officer or something like that because she may at some point have to tell a man what to do. That is the doctrine at loose in the church of Jesus Christ today and considered as orthodox. And I'm here to let you know it is not orthodox. It is not biblical. It's anti-biblical. And hear me, it's anti-Christ. It's anti-Christ. It's against the anointing of God. Again, in Romans 16.1, this is Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is in... Now watch this, the word servant there. It's funny they, they translate it servant here because almost everywhere else they translate it deacon. 
When Paul writes to Timothy about setting up elders and deacons in the church, it's the same word. But here they call it servant. Hmm. I commend you, our sister. Now listen to this. If somebody's coming to your church, say you're a pastor of a church, and I know a nice lady who's going to come and clean the building for you, I don't need to send a letter about her. You're going to let her clean. I don't care if you're crazy. I don't, you know, we don't care what's wrong. If you're cleaning, hey, I'm going to let you do it. Now, if she's a leader, you need a letter of recommendation. And this is Paul saying, hey, listen, I'm sending you. Phoebe's coming there, and she is a great leader in the church. You need to receive her as such. Don't make her work her way up because she's a leader already. You see the difference? That's that, yeah, amen. And so <clears throat> we see this in Scripture. It's, 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 it's pretty clear. And so as we look in the writings of the New Testament, say New Testament, in the New Testament where we're back together in togetherness, we see an expansion of the role of women. We see that they're prophetesses. We saw in the Old Testament they were judges or leaders. We see that in the New Testament they're teachers as they were teaching Apollos the way of Christ more correctly. We see that they were deacons or leaders, we, the apostolic folks. We, just, we see women doing even more than we saw them do in the Old Covenant. And so when we see this, we have to be sure that we're handling the Word of God carefully. We can't just use the Word of God to reinforce our prejudices. It's amazing how much Bible study people would put into defending their power. It's amazing how much Bible study people will put into defending their prejudice, defending their judgments. It's amazing that people who just love don't need a whole lot of Scripture to back them up. They just love. People who want to empower don't need to study the Bible looking for empowerment. They don't have to study the Bible looking for loving. They don't have to study the Bible looking for serving. But if people want to paint for you a picture of a mean God, an evil God, an angry God, a controlling God, they got 300 Scriptures to back them up. Because they need something to back up their own vices. Whereas God is love. That's a good word. But we have to handle the word of God carefully. And we have to remember that Jesus is perfect theology. Let me say it again. Jesus is perfect theology. We, we have to look at Jesus First and foremost in our faith. In Acts chapter 19, as you read the book of Acts and we look for the story, we see that Paul had problems with the temple of Artemis, right? Or Artemis. I don't, know, I don't speak Greek. But so the temple of Artemis. So if you remember, in, it was in Ephesus and they attacked him and, and murdered him, right? And they raised him up. It looks like they killed him because they said they stoned him to death. They dragged him outside the city, and then the disciples raised him up because he was seen as a threat to the temple Artemis. Do you remember this? Yeah, Yeah, read the Bible if not. It's in Acts chapter 19. And at the temple of Artemis in Ephesus, they worshiped, watch this, the goddess Diana. Now, this, this, let me see my map here. This um, worship of Diana, if you look over here in the Aegean Sea between Greece and Ephesus, can you see it here in this above Crete, in that whole part of the Mediterranean Sea, the Greeks kind of ruled the day, and the Greeks spread the worship of Diana in the temple Artemis, right? And so in the the worship of Diana that spread around in this Diana worship, Paul went 
and turn the world upside down. Because here's what would happen. In the temples of Diana, women were only, only women were allowed to be the priests, right? So the women were priestesses, and the priestess women had all the power, and it was part sex cult. And so in order to gain holiness, you would have to pay the temple prostitutes to have sex with them. Women had the power to promote. Women had the power uh, towards um, you know, becoming more godly through having sex with these priestesses. And it was in this backdrop that Paul was teaching the churches, like, um, we're not doing that anymore. This, this, this is not good, and we're not allowing this. And so anywhere that the new church would be founded, the people from the local religions would come in and kind of debate. Like, well, well, we believe this. Well, we believe in that. Tell us what you believe. And in these churches where Diana was being worshipped, uh, Paul planted churches. And we see in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Timothy was planting churches in these heavily pagan areas where the women priestesses were making their money by being temple prostitutes. And they were coming and they were teaching in his churches their faith. And Paul was telling him, hey, when I was there, guess what? I didn't let them teach in the synagogue. I didn't let them teach in our church. I told them to be quiet. I did not allow false theology in my churches. I told the women in 1 Timothy 2 to be quiet. And then he took it a step further. He said, and I told them to go learn from their husbands if they want to learn. Now, why is that such a big deal? Because women in this religion didn't get married because they didn't want to be bound to one man. How can you be a temple prostitute if you're married? How can you have sex with all these people if you're married? And they came in and Paul said, hey, you remember when Jesus said, you know, are you married? And he's like, no, oh, of course not. You got four husbands. You got five husbands. You got all these husbands. You know, you need to repent and stop all this. The one you're with is not your husband. Paul is saying something similar here. Why don't you go to your husband and learn from him? Oh, we don't even believe in marriage. I need to have sex. That's the problem. That's the problem. He's not giving a greater theology of the role of women. He's saying pagan priestesses who, are, who have sex for their God, this is ungodly and I don't allow it. We're going to have holy marriages. We're going to have holy relationships. We're not having people in church who are going to argue with the pastor. That's the backdrop. Now, how you go from there to women aren't allowed to talk, I have no idea. Oh, I know. It's because people are ignorant of what the Bible actually teaches. You see, when you see the flow of the Holy Ghost, wherever you see the flow of the Holy Ghost, you see racial walls coming down, you see gender walls coming down, you see age walls, you see religious walls, you see them coming down. Where you study revival throughout history, and you will see God uses the very people that everybody makes lowest. This is who He uses. Now, where you see misogyny, where you see uh, uh, racism, you see the same places that block the flow of the Holy Ghost. Look for the most cessationist churches in America, and you'll see nothing but white men on the platform. You'll only see white men in leadership. Period. It's always the same. Where you allow the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost knocks down walls. He challenges your prejudice. He challenges your heart. He challenges your judgments. But when you stop the flow of the Holy Ghost, that antichrist spirit, which means the anti-anointing spirit, all of a sudden you start building up religion and I'm better than other people and you invent laws and all of a sudden we start devaluing other people. This is, this is what's happening in the church today. There's a man named Philip the Evangelist. 
I debated talking about Philip. You remember Philip who got caught up and won the eunuch, right? You remember him? And he got translated and flying all over the place. Now, this is like, this is like, let me tell you about Philip. This is what he says about Philip in Acts chapter 29. Now, this man, this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. Every father in the house said, Amen. Be it unto me, Lord. Now, virgin there, of course, meant that they weren't married. That, that, that's what that means, right? Uh, it means he had four single women who were prophetesses as daughters. And um, so in a, in, a, in a society that believes that you're not valuable until you're married, and only your husband can teach, this guy had four single daughters who were prophets. And he got translated, right? And he, this guy could write books for days. <clears throat> I want to keep hitting this. I want to keep hitting this so we, we get it. I really want us to get it. I really want us to get it. When you read the writings of Paul, you have to know who Jesus is. And you have to look at Paul through the lens of who Jesus is. You have to look at Paul. You have to look at John. You have to look at Peter. You have to look at Revelation. You have to look these books through the lens of who Jesus is. Jesus is not split into different books of the Bible. Jesus is Christ in heaven, praying for us right now. The Bible is a collection of people who have written about him. And what they believe is supposed to be in the church. And so where you see something in the new covenant that contradicts who you knew Christ to be, you need to go to Christ and say, do I know you wrong or am I looking at this scripture wrong? We have to divide the word of truth rightly. You remember the story of Mary and Martha? Martha gets a bad rap all the time, right? Martha is like, I, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm, I thank God for the Marthas in our house because they're getting stuff done. Martha's getting stuff done. You want to come play for me, Mikey? Is that what you're saying? Or are you giving the holy finger? Yeah, come on up, man. Absolutely. Come on. I'm thankful for Martha's. Like I said, Martha's are getting stuff done. And so there was this debate between Mary and Martha. You remember this story? And uh, Martha's uh, telling Jesus, can you tell Mary to get up and get some work done? And, uh, and, and Jesus tells Martha, that Mary has chosen the more excellent thing because she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Anybody, you've heard that, you've read the Bible, yes? You've heard this? Um, and so this sounds radical, like none of us are supposed to be accomplishing anything, which clearly isn't the teaching of Scripture, right? So Jesus was a rabbi, and I don't have time to completely unpack this, but rabbis, when they would turn 30, would get disciples, and they would begin raising up their own school of their own rabbinical school. And their disciples, watch this, <clears throat> they would speak, and the disciples would sit around them at their feet. Of course, they could only be males. They had to be of a certain age. They had to be Jewish. And they would sit at the feet of the master, and he would teach them. Now, here's a woman whom he had cast devils out of, sitting at his feet like a disciple would. 
And he said, she chose the more excellent way. She's not bound to the kitchen. She could be a disciple as well. You feel called to cook and clean and serve? Do that. But don't judge people who feel called to sit at the feet of the master and become a disciple. And don't you dare judge the people who feel called to sit and serve behind the scenes. Don't you dare elevate yourself in just another level of prejudice. Don't you do it. You value them just like they value you. <clears throat> Last scripture. I'm so happy I'm going to finish on time. This is awesome. John chapter 20. I want you to get this one in your spirit. John chapter 20, verse 17. Now, Jesus was crucified for our transgressions, bringing us back into relationship with God through his resurrection. <clears throat> this, um, he wasn't here for a long time after his resurrection. Didn't say a lot. Everything he said was super important. John chapter 20, verse 17. His disciples looked in the tomb, did not see him. They left. And then we see Mary Magdalene looks in. And Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but... What's that word say? Let's all read it together. One more time. I feel like we can do it. But go... This is Jesus telling her, Go to my brethren and say to them, I send to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. Okay, now Jesus just sent this woman to preach to the apostles. This is Jesus telling a woman to preach to the apostles. Is there anybody who had more clear revelation according to this word than the apostles? One person, Mary Magdalene. And Jesus said to go teach them. This is crazy. Next verse, verse 18. Mary Magdalene came announcing, preaching, saying, teaching to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And then he told, she told them what he said. So according to some modern theology, let's back it up a little bit, to verse 17. And then Jesus says to her, go to my brethren and say to them, she says, sorry, Lord, that's just not biblical. This just would be, it would just be wrong for me to listen to you right now. It's very important that I listen to these evangelical pastors in America and not you, because clearly they have a more clear revelation of the Father's will than you, the resurrected and risen Son of God. Now, I'm going to go with Jesus personally. I'm going with Jesus. So that leads me to this question, if you could put it up for me, please. If women aren't supposed to preach, why did Jesus tell them to preach? Why? 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 And here's what I want you to get from this as I finish this up. Theology matters. Theology matters. Who you believe God to be matters. Now, when you hear these crazy teachings about God hates people that in the Bible shows he loves. Man, we, we in this day and hour, like we, we got we to gotta actually use our brain 
right? Like it was a gift from God. We should use it, right? We got to use our brain and separate theology and politics. We got we to gotta understand there's a difference between the two and that God is not in our Congress. He's not in our Supreme Court and he's not our president, right? He, he, they're, they're like... Jesus Christ, we don't have a prophet speaking the will of the Father to us. We have to follow Jesus Christ. And when somebody in church or politics or in pop culture is telling us God's will is something that's clearly contrary to who Jesus Christ has revealed himself to be, it needs to be a massive red flag in our heart. We need to be seeing a red flag. And we have to say, whoa! Whoa, 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 whoa. Ah, I met the man Jesus. And what you're saying is not in line with the man Jesus. I actually met him. I know you probably were taught this, but I've met him. Why don't you come with me to a place where I know he dwells? And you can meet him. You can see how crazy these things are that you're saying. Because I won't allow it to continue. I will not allow in my day and time, in my area of influence, I will not allow women to be subjugated because some men are threatened. I will not allow racism to continue in my area because some people don't want to let go of their power. I am not going to allow Jesus Christ to be denied his inheritance because people want to hold on to what the little bit that they've scratched together. It's not going to happen in my realm. And I'll preach this by myself in my living room. I don't care. I am not deviating from whom Jesus Christ has told me he is. Now, this is a radical departure for some people. It's a radical departure from what some people are preaching in America and, and, and because there's bullies on the other side of this argument. The call of God in your life is to empower each person to flourish in their design. And that can't happen if we allow false doctrine to falsely teach some parts of the body are not as important as other parts. We cannot allow our daughters to be taught that God created them to be subservient, less valuable parts of the body of Christ. We cannot allow it. At least I won't allow it, no matter the cost. I have chosen to use the platform that God has given me to empower people to be all Christ has called them to be. And I hope that you will join me on that mission. Amen? Amen. Stand with me if you would. Come on, give a clap off for the Lord. Now listen, we're not going to allow the tyranny, tyranny of the devil to hold back women. We're not going to allow the tyranny of the evil one to hold people in their sin and separated from God as well. I hope you join me in the fight. Thank you. Hallelujah. Can we give it up for the word this morning? That was so good. That was so good. Come on, we carry a message of reconciliation. Amen. To the world. To everybody. It's not just to a select group of few. Jesus died for everybody. He died for the world. He died for, for who the world says is the least and who the world says is the, the greatest. He, and, and this is the message we carry, and we need to be inviting people. 
into church to hear this message, amen? We need to be inviting people. So this week, as, as we go out, I want to let you know that you carry this message of reconciliation in you. You carry the truth of Jesus Christ in you with the love of God, and that can change the world. That can change someone's world this week, this week. And so right now, just before we leave, let's just, let's just make a fresh commitment to doing that this week. I just, Lord, I just give you a fresh commitment. You can use my mouth. You can use my hands. You can use my heart. I want to carry this message of reconciliation. I want to steward it well. I want to speak to who you're calling me to speak to. I want to love who you're calling me to love. I, lead, lead, lead me to those that other people are rejecting and putting down. Father, we want to be those who are calling out destiny, lifting up, declaring and releasing hope to our city, our families, our workplaces. In Jesus' name, everybody said Amen, amen, amen. Give Jesus a shout of praise this morning. He's a very good God. A couple real quick things before, before I dismiss you. Um, ministry team, can you come forward? Uh, we're going to have our ministry team up here. They would love to pray for you this morning. If you need prayer for anything, you need healing in your body, if you had a hard week, if you're looking for a job, if whatever's going on in your life, we have people who want to stand in here in agreement with you, amen. And the second thing is, at 1030, Mountaintops is going to be available on our YouTube channel, Revival Life Worship. Oh, it's available now. So check it out on your way out. Share it on social media. We really appreciate it. And let's give Jesus a shout of praise one more time. We love you guys. God bless you guys. Have an amazing Sunday, and we'll see you next week. Take care.